Greetings everybody. It's such a blessing for me to be with you. Thank you for slotting into this live stream. Although it is not as live, it will show live on YouTube, but it's pre-recorded. Uh, many of you know I'm traveling in the United States and I've recorded this on Friday. This is uh, two days ago, three days ago. I recorded this. Uh, I've got great excitement in my heart for today's message. I want to welcome everybody that's watching for the first time. It's wonderful to have you in our web church and those of you that regularly slot in, thank you so much for slotting in to our web church meeting. This web church is all about bringing the gospel of God's grace, the power of God unto a brand new life, free from your works unto you, where you can share in what He has done for you and can know it and understand it. My passion is to teach this truth. My passion is to see understanding come to people. And we also have an internet platform where people can uh, meet and fellowship and have some interaction with people that are like-minded, that's walking this road of understanding and having fruit, the fruit of the Spirit by the doing of God and not obligation or obedience to laws or any of those kind of things. So uh, let us just pray as we start the service. Father, I want to thank you so much that we can be here together. Thank you that I can sit here in this hotel room, preach a message of life, experience your goodness, know that this message will reach many people uh, in the world and it will bring newness of life to them. Amen. As our custom is, we have communion together. And uh, today's communion message is going to be from Isaiah. Let me just uh, quickly go, go there. I should have opened this before the time, but here it is. This is Isaiah 55 and verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and returns not back, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. So, let, just as an introduction there, what he says here, he says that his ways are higher than our ways. Now, I don't have time in this communion to explain all of that. One day we can make a whole message on that. But what he's basically saying is, man's ways is not in the same level as God's ways. And if you read the, the, the whole of... Uh, let me see, if you read up to verse 13, the rest of the chapter, you will basically see that interwoven there is the concept of immortality. It says man's ways is not as high as God's ways, for man's ways are temporal. They don't have everlasting life. It, it cannot produce immortality. It cannot have eternal existence. It's something that is that, that goes and it, it brings forth it brings forth something, but it's not everlasting. But it says, my ways are higher than, than the ways of man. And because God's ways are higher, it will be, he, he will send forth the word, and that word will accomplish what it was set forth to do. You see, man's ways cannot accomplish what it was set forth to do. When Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did he want to do? He wanted to accomplish eternal life, but he couldn't. 
Why? Because man's understanding, man's ability is born from mortality. We are made from the dust of the earth. We cannot bring it forth. But God, who can have a word from immortality and eternal life, can actually bring forth what He has said. And He has a vision, and God's vision is to have a family that is full of life, full of goodness, full of kindness, sharing in His quality of life. And He says that my word shall accomplish that. What's beautiful in this passage, uh, talks a little bit about uh, grain there. He says, as what you would find the water come down from heaven, and it doesn't just return back without having an effect. Uh, and the effect there is actually to bring life to a seed so that the seed can then eventually become food and sustain life. He used the type and shadow. He says, so is my word. My word will come to the earth and it will water the earth and then it will bring forth the seed that was sown in this earth. And Jesus was sown, he died. And then he, the message of life came and Jesus believed on the message of life. He was raised from the dead. And so God is accomplishing what he has said from the beginning. And now it goes on here. It says this word's accomplishment will look like this. You will be happy. You will go forth with joy and you will be let forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing. That which was just a mountain and a hill which was dead will come alive. It, I believe this talks about the, the, the recreation of everything. It talks about creation breaking forth in what Romans 8 clearly says there, talking about the manifestation of the sons of God. It goes on, it says, they will clap their hands and... Verse 13, powerfully, instead of the thorn shall come forth the fir, fir tree. You see, this, all of this talks about the ending of man's way and man's effect on the earth. The earth was cursed because of Adam's doing. Adam's way of managing the earth cannot bring, it, bring eternal life to this planet. But he says, God will have an effect on this planet and upon man and upon us wherein there will be no more thorns and thistles. The curse will be gone. Life will be ours. And that is what Isaiah says here. In our communion, as we have communion together, I don't have the uh, bread and wine here in the hotel room now, but I'm sure you have it. And as a family, we can have communion together. and We can say the word of God has been spoken and we take that bread and we break it in remembrance of God saying, I'm bringing forth a word, I'm speaking a word and that word in the death of Jesus, in the, His blood that flowed, in His resurrection is bringing forth what God has promised. And as you eat this, you eat this in remembrance of what God has done for you. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the body of Jesus came forth. Your word actually came to this earth. Your, your, your message came. Jesus, you died. Uh, you were raised and a brand new life is ours. Thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus. We appreciate you, Father. Jesus, we appreciate you. We are so grateful. Amen. Let us enjoy the communion together. You are our home You're the place we lay our heads And you're where we go for rest You are our home
place that we run to And you're the one that we hold on to There's no other Who could love us like you do There's no other Who could ever take the place of you talk a little bit about what makes us clean and I want to read from 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 it says behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God therefore the world knows us not because it knew him not beloved now are we the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. What a powerful passage that can just change your life. It says here that uh, basically John comes in his rice, he says, let, me, uh, let us behold what the true love of God is all about. What is the love of God? What is this awesome power? Let us put it in front of us and see it for what it is. It says, this is the love of God, that we are now the sons of God. So it says, behold what manner of love God has bestowed upon us, that we are now the sons of God. What he's actually saying by that and what the Jews would understand by that is that man now have already received that immortality. It has entered our lives. And the moment John says that, a question arises which says, but we are still seeing death in our bodies. And he says, but hold on for a moment. He says, we are now the sons of God. 
and what we shall be, or this, what this means, does not yet appear. It doesn't say, he does not say there, we don't know what we will be, but when Jesus comes, we will be like him. That's not what he says. He knows exactly what they will be. They will be, and we will be, immortal human beings, sharing in the life of God. But he says, that which we shall, what we shall be, does not yet appear. Let me read it again. It says this. Let's listen carefully. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. It does not yet appear what we shall be. So the very thing that what we shall be does not appear now. It is not manifested. It is not seen. But we shall be like Him. So what he says is, we know what we will be, but the very thing is not manifesting now. Then he goes on and he says, And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Now that doesn't mean that if you have this hope, you must purify yourself. It says, by having this hope, you are purifying yourself as he is pure. Meaning that the moment we believe that we are the sons of God, and that He will, in His return, manifest our sonship and reveal us as the immortals in the equality of God's immortality. Uh, the moment we have that belief, we have ceased from our works and we will not engage the flesh anymore to attend unto any form of life or breakthrough or anything like that. But we are resting in Him. And in that hope, we are being purified from the works of the flesh and the works of the law. And we are pure as He is pure, which is a life that's born from the Spirit and a life that's not born from the works of the law. So the way wherein we purify ourselves, you want to call it like that, the way wherein we walk without sin, we're going to go on and explain that quickly, is by simply relying upon Jesus, having the confident expectation of immortality. Now, I didn't plan to say this, but as I'm just saying this, I just feel kind of a frustration because I want to share something with you, but we've had such a wrong backstory. The backstory that we've had was a story of inherent immortality, which is a problem. Uh, I know it can be shocking to many, but I need to say this because if we don't see this, the gospel, the very good news, the, the good news of being revealed as the sons of God and what it really means will have no power. It will be without definition because the foundation is absolutely wrong. Man thought that they, well, this is what we've been taught by people like Plato and all these Greek philosophers and all those kind of things. And this is what came naturally to our minds, or what, what's coming naturally now to our minds, because of years of indoctrination of Greek philosophy and so forth. And that is that we are inherently immortal beings. You're either going to live forever in heaven or you're going to live forever in hell, which is, according to what I see the Bible teaches, not the truth. Eternal life, or another word of saying that, Eternal existence is a gift from God. It is something God possesses, the only immortal, as written in Timothy, 
And that is what God grants us. And that is what 1 John is all about. We purify ourselves. We get purified from wrong beliefs the moment we believe that immortality will be granted unto us and manifested in us by Jesus in his day, the day of his return, when, he, when we see him as he is. And that we now, because we rely upon him for that life, that we are being cleansed from all other things, the works of the law or engaging flesh to have immortality and life and all those kind of things. We are resting from that. We are set free from that for we've got our hope in him. Now, with that said, uh, by this time maybe many have already switched the video off because they just shout heresy. I will tell you that Jesus, when he conquered death, it was such a great event that I, in my understanding of the scripture and creation everything, I believe that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a greater event than creation itself. It was the birth or the manifestation of creation as God has planned it from the beginning. It is the first form of creation that possesses eternal life. And who, we who are in Him, over whom He has the rule, we have the promise and the hope of the very same thing. And as we believe upon that, we find that the power that raised Christ from the dead is now working in us, manifesting the first fruit of the Spirit. And that is what we talks about here, this purification, where we are not committing sin or transgression anymore. Listen to verse 4, and I'm going to end off with this. It says, whosoever commits, trans whosoever commits sin transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now how can Paul all of a sudden come, or oh, sorry, John come, and write and say, we are awaiting immortality. Um, you cleanse yourself from every effort unto life by believing and having the hope of immortality by Christ. And then it goes on, just in the next verse to say, whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. So what he's actually saying there is that the law was prophesying unto what I've just taught you in the first few minutes of this message, and should you not believe in this resurrected Jesus and a physical resurrection of Christ and the physical resurrection of yourself in the day of the Lord where we will so have immortality, you are actually transgressing the law. For the law talks about this. The law prophesies about this. The law had all of this in mind to show man his inability and that he cannot have life by his own works so that he could trust in the Lord. Now, I just want to express just something that's in my heart, just from brutal honesty, and that is, as I teach this and speak on this, it feels to me in my heart, I know it's not true in every case, but it feels to me in my heart as if there's such a big distance between what, we've, what we used to believe and what this is, that it's almost... While I preach this, I feel such an excitement in my heart, but it can almost feel as if I'm the only one excited because um, I've come to a place in my heart where the backstory had to change, where my heart does not believe 
that I am just an inherent immortal being, but that it was a gift given unto me. Therefore, I've got great joy in hearing things like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that we will not perish, but have everlasting life. Those things start to make sense. But if you preach and speak to a crowd which believe, well, we are immortal, eternal beings anyway. So if you just say, I'm going to have eternal life, it doesn't really mean that much to me. We need to change the word eternal life with heaven before it's going to bring some joy to me. Because if we sit with Greek philosophy and um, a heaven and hell dualistic system kind of a thing where it's all about where you're going to spend eternity because you're going to live forever anyway, a message of a physical resurrection wherein you will not die but have eternal life will mean nothing to you because you believe you already, you already have it. Um, and it cannot bring you true joy. So I would say for all those that are interested, ask God and, God and ask Him to show you that uh, the backstory, wherein you can go and read Genesis and you can find that the earth was without form and void and ask yourself, what does that mean? Ask yourself, why does God come out of this chaos and now create something, make man from dust, saying he knows that we are but dust and that inside our own ability we just return to dust. Ask yourself the question, why was there a tree of life? if they were immortal anyway. Uh, there's so many things you can ask yourself. And once you've come to the realization that God, th that man is actually just dust waiting to return unto dust unless something from outside of man intervenes and grants it life, it will become, or let me put it this way, when you come to that realization and you start to read what Jesus Christ has done and how death was put upon him, how he was made a partaker of mortality and how he was then raised from the dead into eternal life and you can now call him Lord, meaning he lords it over your death, all of a sudden you will find that joy of eternal life now being granted to you, given to you, and it will be such a joy in you as what I'm experiencing right now as I say this, that it brings forth a, a life inside you which changes your way of thinking, relating to people, your, your, your way. It brings forth holiness as that passage says. It actually makes everything new. It gives you that eternal life. Let me read it again. I'm going to read chapter 3 verses 1 to 4. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. The person that's got the hope of immortality does not say the hope of going to heaven. It is the hope of immortality. Uh, N.T. Wright coined this phrase and he said, it's not about life after death, but it's actually about the life after the life after death. Uh, 
And the only reason I say that is so that we can have our minds into something greater than uh, a place after the, this bodily death. The Bible is not about that. I want to say this to you and I want to challenge some of you. The Bible is not about where you go when you die. It's never been about that. It's always been about heaven invading earth, heaven and earth being becoming one or living in a unity, a marriage between heaven and physicality, wherein God finds a place where he can dwell with people that he has created and brought forth to share in his life. If you look at the Old Testament, you, you look at Genesis. Genesis is a temple narrative. If you look at the temple itself, even Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was created in six stages. And on the seventh stage, or the seventh day, if you want to call it like that, God came and rested in his temple. That resting in the temple doesn't mean he came to do nothing. He actually now came to indwell what he has built and that is what this whole thing is all about at the end of the day. It's about God coming, dwelling with His people, bringing forth life in His people, giving, giving us what He has, giving us the greatest gift there is, and that is His very own immortal life. When, when we talk about God in the Old Testament, His name, it means the self-existing one, the, the the I am that I am. He, he is so much that it manifests. And that's why we now, we, we find God is so much that it finds its manifestation in bringing us forth, glory to God, uh, from Him and so we dwell with Him. I know what I'm saying might be challenging to many of you. I know what I'm saying will cause especially first-time viewers of what I say uh, it can cause you pain because your brain, like some would say, my brain is working over time. The reason why your brain's working over time is because it wants to take what you used to believe and see how that fits in here. It doesn't. You need to throw away that old wineskin completely. You cannot incorporate this into the old. This message is what I believe the Apostle Paul preached. He preached a message. His good news was not a message of, um, uh, you know, say a sinner's prayer so that you can go to heaven. That was not his message. His message was that there, that God, what he has promised to Adam, what he has promised to Abram, what he has shown in the type and the shadow of Noah, what he has, what Israel was all about and what, what it prophesied unto has now manifested and we have found the first man born from the dead which is Jesus. And this first one that is born from the dead has made it easy for us because it is not for us to try through an some form of obedience to God to try and give eternal, bring eternal life to us, but it's actually about this first one raised from the dead exercising what he has attained over us. Like Adam, the first Adam had dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and it was his job to multiply. So now we find the good news that God is bringing righteousness to the earth. Righteousness, not an equitable standing before the law, but righteousness as the very 
equitable deed of God done towards humanity and creation wherein he restores all things in bringing life to it. <laughs> Glory to God. Well, I wanted to just share this with you shortly. Um, I trust that this message blesses you, that it will give you great excitement and life. I want, I want to tell you, church, Take that first John chapter 3 and go and study it out. And you will see when it goes on and says, He who sins of the devil and so forth. It talks about him who is refusing to see God becoming flesh and dwelt, dwelt amongst us. Uh, one of the most uncomfortable truths in modern day uh, in, in the modern world is the physical resurrection of Jesus and what it means. The physical resurrection of Jesus talks about a physical resurrection of the church, uh, a new body that he has prepared for us, where, which somehow has got a connection to the old one, and that we see in the physical resurrection of Jesus with an empty grave and so forth. So church, thank you so much for watching this. Know that you're loved by God, cared for by him, and whatsoever he has dreamt for you is available for you in Jesus outside of your works, but only in relying upon him, saying, you have the rule over me. As I end this off, I would like to pray for people, because you might say, Batty, this sounds like a wonderful theory, but what power does it have in the here and now? What power does it have in everyday life? I mean, I'm, uh, uh, I've started a business or I've lost my job or any of those kind of things. You know, yesterday I spoke to somebody that uh, shared with me that he's losing his job. And what I said to him, I said to him, listen, the way God works is he works in you to will and to do. And this will that's in you is based on this resurrection and your union with him in that. And as you come to him and you, you can just say, Father, I've got a desire I've got another four or five years that I, that I have to work before I, before I will retire. But my desire is to just have peace in this life and not worry about money. And until my retirement scheme kicks in, I don't know exactly how it works in America, until that happens, you know, I'm, I find stress in my mind, but I don't want that. Go to God and just say, God, that is you putting in me your desire for me to live without stress in that time, be it God bringing contentment, wisdom on how to work with your money, whatever, but God, I'm available for that, and by the power of your resurrection, you manage this, and your life is born in me, where I'm not every day having to hear the voice of God, but where it just lives in me. And that's how God brings it forth. The, the realization of this resurrection, church, is has got such a, almost magical power as what there is a magical power when you try to keep one of the Ten Commandments in the negative. If you try to keep uh, the commandment that says you shall not desire, you know what's going to happen? You don't know how it works, but there is just this law that brings forth all forms of concupiscence. In the very same way, when we believe in this resurrection, we purify ourselves. This is how purification takes place. When you see this resurrection, when you believe upon what I've just taught in this teaching, as magically as what the, the 
the law brings forth sin in you in the very same way for the positive magically if you want to call it like that it's not magic we call it the power of the resurrection or the the life of god or the spirit of god it brings forth 